This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey everyone, Carm Capriato, good and welcome to the podcast. Good day for you. Going to have some fun today. Matt Lockowitzer is with me from Matt's Automotive Center all over Minnesota, right Matt? Minnesota, North Dakota, yep. Minnesota and North Dakota. Uh, I remember you, (laughs) I should look up the date that we did our first show. You had three or four stores, I think. I was so impressed with the relationship and the connection that you have with your customer and, you know, your total purpose when it comes to the customer experience. You remember that one? Yes, I do. It was fun. You've been on other shows with us before. I saw you in Cancun uh, maybe a few months back and I said, so, Matt, (laughs) and I always do this for people. I said, so how many stores? (laughs) How many stores now? And he goes, 10. And I go, oh my, I can't even imagine what else is in the queue, but we can talk about that in a minute. And so I, I said, what happened between the three or four that I thought I remembered and now? And so congrats, successes to you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. I want to hear his story about uh, the death of a five-year manager and service advisor that couldn't come back to work. And I'm not sure what the circumstances were when you were actually signing and growing and opening stores. And it's enough just to do a deal, sign it up, you know, and try to bring that inside the company than to have the kind of losses you had. And I would love to find out and get in your mind as to how you overcame those challenges. And I think that would be the whole idea of this. But then there's some other really cool things going on with Matt that I also want to cover near the end. You know, it's no secret we're facing a technician shortage and Napa Auto Care is addressing that. The free two-year apprentice program offers a variety of training to produce a technician with three ASE certifications. Learn more. Members can visit member.napaautocare.com. Take me back to, you know, the terrible loss you guys had and how you overcame that. We were about, I don't know, about a month past signing uh, five deals uh, to add five stores last year. We were one week into our uh, first acquisition, which was a large uh, 14-bay shop. And I had the majority of my management team with me in the Twin Cities opening that store. And uh, I got a phone call from one of our managers saying that uh, his name is Chris. He had passed away. And uh, Michael, what's going on? And um, ultimately, uh, he had a heart attack. He uh, passed away in our store. So that was a whole nother level of things that we had to kind of work through and, and just and things like that. But 43 years old, an 11 year old kid. It worked for me for five years. He was one of our, our key managers in our, our location, managed one of my flagship stores. So it was it was just a lot to kind of digest. You know, obviously, you, me and him were very close as friends as well. We used to go out with our, our sons and, and do all you can eat sushi once a month. And just we were just really close as, a, you know, our teams are very close in general. So it was it was a lot to take in. Um, obviously, we kind of pivoted right away, said, hey, we got to go back to North Dakota and, and uh, deal with this. One of closing all of our stores in the uh, Fargo-Moorhead area, which we have five, and kind of just let everybody take the day and uh, try to regroup what was going on. All during that process, I'm, I'm calling insurance. I'm, okay, what do I need to do? How do I need to report this? Like, I had to play, you know, report a workplace death to OSHA and all that kind of stuff and go through that process. And it was, it was just a lot. Um, but uh, ultimately, on top of that, you know, the service advisor that I've worked with next to him for the last three years, 
obviously took it really, really hard. And uh, she decided that she didn't want to come back because it was just too painful for her. So not only losing him, but then we lost the advisor that, you know, that pair that had been together for so long, really in a flagship store, really kind of put a dent in us right off the bat. And then, you know, the next week we had a funeral. So we had all the stores closed for that. And you know, me and five other team members were pallbearers and we spoke at the funeral and it was, it was a lot and uh, <laughs> hard to take it. Yeah, Matt, you're saying things I can't even imagine. I don't think anybody could prepare for. I don't even think you should invest your time in what would I do when. Obviously, this was a very, you know, maybe it's a rare occasion, but it does happen, right? But then to lose the service advisor on top of that, how did the team react to help keep this store alive? What were the some of the great things that happened? Yeah, so I mean, all of our shop foremen obviously got together and said, well, what, do you, what do we need to get done? How do we need to adjust things? All the managers at, at the other stores worked together to try to formulate a plan of how we could take care of our guests and contact everybody that needed to be contacted. Everybody just stepped up where they needed to step up. You know, some of the guys worked later. They came in on a weekend and got some stuff done, so our customers were still taken care of. It was amazing. I mean, we had probably 98% of our staff show up for the funeral. And I mean, it was it was very impactful on that side of it, too. I paid everybody for the day off for the funeral and for the day that we closed. So, I mean, nobody missed a beat on that side either. And we just we tried to take care of everybody. You know, I think it goes without saying that you would pay your people. I know you would always do the right thing, but uh, maybe there are people that wouldn't. I don't. I don't know. I would. I would hope not. I think this industry is too proud of who we are and what we do that they would look at that as a, a non-paid day off. But uh, glad to hear that. So everybody stepped up. I mean, did you have anybody in the wings? Yeah, we've always always tried to have that farming mentality. So we were always, you know, looking for people and trying to grow people. So we wound up moving one person up. And then we had a couple of people we had been in contact with, you know, in the last six months that we've kind of kept open conversations with and said, hey, you know, we've uh, fortunately have an opportunity. And so we were able to kind of fill the roles quite quickly and try to adapt. And we had to kind of split up because we had new people in, in stores in the cities that we were working on training. So we had to kind of divide and conquer and said, okay, you got to take these people on. I got to take these people on. And everybody kind of just stepped up and said, okay, challenge accepted. We're going to keep moving. And uh, we didn't miss a beat. I mean, it was it was crazy to think all that happened, but we didn't miss a beat. You know, within two weeks, we had new people in and training beginning and uh, things were happening pretty quickly. Training. It's so critical today, more important than ever, from all the positions and all the roles in the company. How are you guys doing that? We do multiple different pieces of training. You know, for new hires, um, we start off every uh, person has to read two books. Then they spend some time with one of our upper management team, just kind of going over all the pieces of the business, our history, who we are, our values, our mission value statements, really understanding what, you know, and and having them reflect on what those mean to them and how they call out to them. Because we want to make sure that, you know, these people really understand the why behind who we are. Um, From there, we obviously get into, you know, the the day-to-day training parts of things and uh, really kind of get the nuts and bolts part of it. Typically, a new hire, like a service advisor, will spend probably 30 days in training with us before they're really set loose. Uh, We want to make sure that they're really set up for success. So we have multiple practice examples, different, you know, uh, role-playing activities we do with them, just to make sure they kind of have all the tools and, and the why behind we do this, everything the way we do it. 
and it really kind of puts those pieces together so they're ready when they when they are ready to be let loose they're ready to actually be successful day one matt do you have a general manager who's doing all this for you Yes, we have uh, multiple different layers of managers. We have operations, we have uh, HR, we have district managers, and we have obviously store level managers as well. And then shop foreman, and then we have a lead tech that oversees all the shop foreman as well. So who's the person, who's the one individual that says, listen, these are our processes, these are our systems, this is the universal way we run the company and how we teach and how we train and how we deal with the customer. Is it you or is it your number one lead GM? It's my number one. Without Vern, obviously, uh, he's kind of my key player in our in our company, and he's kind of taken everything he's learned from me, and then you know the way I want things done, and he's been the one that kind of carries that mission forward. You know, today, Matt, how do you check on the GM's work? This is not in a negative way at all, but you know, everybody who seems to work on everybody's team. What is it? Go out, talk to the team, listen, uh, you know, pull the data. Is it coming down? Is it getting heard? Are people acting, responding to the policies and procedures of the company? Do you get out a lot to test all that? You know, I try to be present in all the stores um, just as a person. And I, I, you know, I just want to be involved with my people. So I'm kind of when I come around, they know I'm not coming around to check on the business. They really kind of come know I'm coming around to check on them and how they're doing and if there's anything that we can do differently or better to help them with their positions. And uh, it's been, my role's really fun now. They know I'm not coming around to, f- to fix or solve a problem. They really know I'm coming around to really be there for them. And uh, through that process, they're actually able to be more open with me probably now than they are with my management team because... I'm not really the management team anymore. Think back of all the years when we first met each other and did some episodes, and then you've done some throughout the years, and now you're at 10 stores. Was there a God karma? It was like this long ago, and I made a major pivot in my life, my world, my leadership. Can you think back to that? Yeah, I would say it was probably 2015, 2016, when I really kind of made a, a pivot change. Not only did I leave the shop, but I really focused on what kind of leader I wanted to be and how I wanted people to be able to follow me. I was really good at building smaller teams, but I I felt like we had more that we could do. And I knew I could only do that by building people up and really developing them in a way that they could do it for me in some capacity. But also I, I wanted to be able to build better people in general. And I think that's been one of our goals as a company, especially the last six, seven years is we don't want to just build better team members. We want to build better people. So you basically looked in the mirror and says, hey, look, at uh, I, I think I'm really good at what I do. Look, at I got this really good company, but I could use something to make me better. And when you admit that now you have to go out and get, if you will, some kind of personal life coach type of thing, is that kind of what happened? I just really became a really large student. Um, you know, I didn't obviously get a coach, which I do believe in coaches by all means, but I really felt I could do a lot of it just by connecting myself with other people that are like me and and talking with them, having conversations, attending really different styles of training that really wasn't automotive focus. So we put a lot of focus in hospitality training. We put a lot of focus into how businesses that really succeed at, at not only internal customers, but external customer service. So we, you know, we we studied a lot of those kind of businesses and said, okay, where do they get their training? And and we started attending that kind of stuff. I know you know, and you have attended some of John DeJulius's training, the the DeJulius Group. When we were in Cancun together at the Transformers Summit, it was a great thing. I interviewed John DeJulius for the second time, and I want to encourage anyone 
who's not been inspired by John DeJulius, go to my website, type in John D. I-J-U-L-I-U-S, John D. Julius, and consume his episodes and learn all kinds of great things. It reminds me the way your whole customer experience thing, that it's the hospitality thing. It's what the Julius preaches. Obviously, it could have been your biggest pivot. We really, really focus on, you know, John talks about collecting your customers forward, you know, and we were really, really big on that. Uh, building the relationship from the very big first second and, and really being present to win. You know, there's Everything I take out of everybody's stuff, I kind of adapt it, make it ours. You know, a good friend of mine, Frank Skandura, says rip off and duplicate, you know, duplicate. Um, You know, it's a great way. Nothing's new. You just got to make it yours and and own it. When I interviewed Frank many, many years ago, like you, Matt, he goes, yeah, Carm, I believe in R&D. And then, of course, rip off and duplicate. And, you know, I've heard it before, but I, I had never heard the way Frank says it as a fellow Italian. I've used it all the time. In fact, I think it's become an accepted, if you will, acronym in our industry, the old R&D thing. Hey, going back to the two books that you said your people have to read, what are they? So one of them is John's Julius, uh, Customer Service Revolution. I think that's just a great book that kind of gets you on on the right path, starting to understand Ford and what it means. And then uh, Unstoppable by Dave Anderson is the other book. I was going to say that book really just kind of focuses on, uh, you know, finding a way to be unstoppable, finding a way to be a game changer every day. I know there's four types of people, undertaker, caretaker, playmaker, and game changer. And the game changer personality and the traits are the ones that care more about the success of their teams and their own individual wins. And that's really what we try to coach our people on is, you know, being a game changer and being part of a team that's successful as a group. We keep throwing the word around forward and other, and other acronyms. What the hell does that mean? And so if you're a hell of a student of my podcast and you're a loyal listener, then you know what forward is. And if not, you know where you can go and find out. But I do want to tease the audience. Let's explain what forward is. Yeah, so forward stands for family, occupation, recreation, and dreams. And, you know, we challenge on our side, we challenge not only our advisors and managers to collect that data, but we challenge our technicians to collect Ford on every vehicle. And it's amazing what you can find, you know, just by turning around, looking in the backseat or looking what's on a bumper sticker, or what's on their keychain to collect Ford about an individual or a family that's, you know, a guest in your shop. And using that information and how powerful it is the next time they come in and said, hey, you know, last time you were in, I noticed you were a Minnesota Twins fan. You know, are, are you following what they're doing this offseason? It just, the people light up, you know, and then you can talk their family side of things. And, hey, you know, your grandkids, you know, see they're three and nine. Like, what are they into? And just kind of people just, when they hear something that's important to them, they light up. And it really creates that bridge and that, you know, connection that you can get with people. Recently, it happened to me, and I, I don't remember the situation, but I remember how I felt, by the way, Matt. I remember that when an individual said, hey, Carm, how is blank? And I, again, I don't remember the question, but I remember that. Wow. Feeling. Yeah. That person knew enough, cared enough to know that, to learn that. Even if it was just recorded in a CRM program and sitting in front of them, they cared to start the conversation to solidify the relationship by tossing off something that they knew about me. Yeah, that's super powerful. So um, consolidation in our great industry, Matt. I mean, you are a consolidator. Are they coming to you from, you know, empty shells that you're either doing a brownfield on or people selling? What's going on? 
a lot of our acquisitions have been uh, retirement uh, style situations where people looking to get out of the industry. The majority are, are retirements, but I get, uh, you know, I have multiple different connections I work with that, you know, present different offers or opportunities to me. Uh, we are constantly looking at deals, you know, at any given moment, we're looking at 10 plus opportunities. Um, there's a lot of consolidation going on, but uh, there's a lot of people that are retirement age that are looking to to exit as well. Have they planned well enough ahead so that they could maximize all the years they put in their business? I would say the majority of them, no. They're all decent operations, good to decent operations. It's nothing that they did wrong or anything like that. They just didn't plan for when the day comes. And uh, I, I can't stress that enough, if, you know, to start planning if you're not. It doesn't matter how old you are. It comes down to you have to start planning. Like, what does this look like in a year? What does this look like in five years? You know, what's my exit strategy? Like, what do I want to get out of this when, when I'm done? And uh, it's huge. In the E-Myth Revisited, Matt, I think it was within the first couple of pages, they said every decision that you make should be on when you are going to sell or exit the business. To your point, I mean, you're willing to pay more money for a great going business. You got to find one to make investment sense out of. On our model, we don't look for the perfect shop, obviously, because there is none. Um, but we look for you know a lot of the bones that are good. And, you know, where can we increase this? Where can we increase that? It doesn't make sense because you know a super super high performing shop is going to be a lot harder to sell for somebody who's looking for an investment just because they're going to pay top. And they may not see that big return where if you can find something that's maybe in the middle of the road that you you can make slight tweaks and improvements to that you can see that you can make a return on, you know, fairly quickly. You know, it just depends on, you know, the type of operator that's looking to buy too. Hey, Carm here. Just to let you know that Napa Auto Care was top rated in a national survey by consumers of car repair in the chains and independent repair shops category. Ratings were based on courtesy. Timeliness, quality, price of repair, and percent of times the problem was fixed on the first visit. Napa Auto Care is the only banner program to make these ratings. Consumers are familiar with the Napa Auto Care brand, and you can benefit. Napa Auto Care has the largest network of independent professional shops in North America with over 17,000 locations. Your independent repair facility can join this network and be supported through Napa's national marketing through the already successful Know How for All campaign, which promotes auto care-specific offerings. You also get support to promote your local repair facility with targeted media in local markets and in proven channels. You can also utilize a full calendar year of promotions with Napa Auto Care sales driver promotions that are 100% fully funded by Napa. And this includes free email marketing, digital and print point of sale materials. Also connect a national presence by co-branding your locally known brand with the nationally recognized Napa brand. Also partner with Napa Smart Sign to educate customers with engaging video that tell the why behind the needed repair or service. You can access editable digital menu boards, template builder tools, social media feeds, and integrations with other auto care program elements. Also offer a credit solution to customers with Napa Easy Pay Consumer Financing. Stay top of mind with your business name embossed on the credit card. Also have an online presence when consumers search for a local repair facility on Napa Online, which generates millions of views per month at no additional cost. Hey, if you're interested in partnering with Napa Auto Care and capitalizing on the Napa know-how for all national marketing campaign, contact your salesperson or servicing Napa Auto Parts Store. 
Matt, you're at a meeting of your leadership and uh, they say, hey, Matt, God, Amazon just laid off these people. Microsoft laid off those people. There's this R word being floated around, recession. Uh, what should we be paying attention to, your team says? Opportunities. Opportunities to do the little things. I really believe that uh, all the little things are going to be the ones that uh, get us through any kind of recession, high, low, doesn't matter. You talked about, you know, people remember how or you talked about how something made you feel. So the little things are the things that usually what are, make us feel. They don't remember the big ah, wow moments sometimes, but they'll remember, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do all the little things right? So we put a lot of focus on those things when, uh, you know, there's uncertainties. And then opportunities for, you know, maybe it's new people to join our team or people that maybe wouldn't be in this industry otherwise. How, how can we get these people engaged in this industry? So th there's a lot of different things like that. You know, recessions are, a lot of capacities are good for auto repair. We've had such great explosive growth. Do you see it uh tempering a little bit? I think it will. I don't know uh, when and how. I think there's probably a couple year window that's still going to be pretty strong with this. Um, there's been so many acquisitions, but if you've watched, it has slowed a little already. It's not like every other day we're getting a notification from Ratchet and Ranch or Fender Bender or whatever else saying this place bought all these and this place bought all these. But there are still a lot of acquisitions happening, but it's not as rapid as it had been like last year was insane. The news places are going to get the big deals. I mean, the, the Matt Lockowitzer deals when you go out and buy one shop isn't going to make national press. And there's a lot of that going on. And so you said, you know, we've got people to go to make acquisitions. If people in your marketplace, this is, hey, listen, Matt's the guy. Do you get phone calls or calls from lawyers or something? I get phone calls from shop owners. I get phone calls from brokers. I get phone calls from real estate agents. I get random listings sent to me. I've got, you know, obviously broker agencies that send me stuff as well. And then I've just got, you know, people that I know, know that I'm looking and they say, hey, I found this place. I've had potential techs reach out to me saying, hey, you should buy my shop. So, I mean, there's <laughs> there's all kinds of stuff like that. You know, I, that, this happened last Friday, believe it or not. I got I an got, uh, email from a potential technician. He's like, I don't want to move, but I want to work for you. You should come buy my owner's shop. And it was just <laughs> so... Number one, I'm not surprised. And number two, thank you for making that whole thought of that I've had real because there are people that want to work at a better place. And if your reputation is that, then <laughs> please come in by my shop, please. Say, for example, you hear that and you realize through the network that this individual is pretty good guy, pretty decent guy, great, great tech. Would you do some research on that company? I've already been, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, me and, me and this tech have been talking now for four days. I think it's, it's Tuesday, yeah, four days. And uh, gotten to know his background. He's been there 16 years, master technician. Uh, sounds like they have a good culture, but the owners is not uh, really investing in them or the company anymore. And uh, there's two locations, and I mean, so there's opportunity here. So I've definitely been doing my research. I've sent all the information out to my management team, getting their feedback and thoughts. I've got, you know, a broker looking at it as far as real estate, things like that, what it might be worth. So we've got wheels moving and I haven't even reached out to the owner yet. You have not. I have not. Give me the Matt Lockowitzer think on, you've got all this information in front of you. It looks pretty good. Of course, we need to get financial statements, payroll. We need to get all that stuff. 
you just drop by and say, hi, I'm Matt. Let's have coffee. Do you pick up the phone? Does someone else make the call for you? What's the next step? So it kind of depends on, you know, we, we have a couple different factors we look at, but, you know, is, is it an older or younger owner? Is it, you know, are they looking to sell or are they looking to retire? Every one of these has a little bit different aspect. You know, if I, if I look at their website and it's a picture of a husband and wife that have owned it for 30 years on there, I'm going to walk in there and actually talk to them because they're passing on, you know, a, a bigger part of their life. If it's somebody that has a couple shops and they're just running all over the place, I might have somebody from my team give them a call and say, hey, would you like to talk to Matt about possible you know, acquisition? Every one of these is different. Sometimes we, we send, you know, a letter, you know, saying, hey, we're looking to, you know, purchase shops in this area. You know, so there's just a lot of different ways we look at it. It really kind of depends on the feel from the homework that we've done, you know, how we approach it. I love the word homework. It's great. It really explains. Get the yellow pad out, get some pictures taken, get a feel for the market. I love it. Do the homework before you decide to reach out because you don't want to reach out and be surprised by anything. At least you you want to have 55% of known knowledge before you reach out. Of the people that you pick up the phone and call, Matthew, what's the percentage that they say, sure, Matt, let's have coffee or come on over? Probably one out of five. One out of five. We're also looking for shops that, you know, might have a 45-year-old owner, but it's the location we want. And they, they're they like, nope, I'm not looking to sell. I'm doing good. But we, we continue that. And, we, and sometimes, I mean, we had a deal this last year that we did. I mean, we've been talking to that owner for seven months. And, you know, originally it was a no. And then we, we sent, just checked in. And then it was, well, maybe in a couple months. And then we checked in again. No, I'm not ready. I mean, they go back and forth sometimes. It's, it's an emotional decision for them. You know, and ultimately that no turned into I own the shop now. So, I mean, it's it's interesting how some of these go and sometimes they just take time. And sometimes you catch them on a day, everything's going great and they don't want to, they don't even want to think about it. The next time you call them, everything could be on fire and they're like, why am I doing this? I want out. So, I mean, <laughs> sometimes it's how you, what day you catch them on too. I understand. What do you do to recharge? Spend time with my kids. Um, that's a, I like vacationing. I like spending time on my lake and I like personal development. So whether that's attending, you know, I'm, I'm a big person for me. I think training and knowledge is my therapy in some capacity and my medicine, whatever you want to call it. So whether it's attending a training event of some sort or even doing a training event for my staff, that to me is medicine. Seeing light bulbs come on in people and, and seeing that moment happen or like, it all makes sense now, or I'm going to do something completely different now based on what was presented to me. Like those are the things that make me excited to strap it on again the next week and get after it. What advice would you give to the single store owner who wants to grow? So first and foremost, you got to have a phenomenal team around you that's ready to grow and then they really want to grow with you. You know, sometimes when you have a single store and you build that really family and then you or, you go to open the second one, you get some uh, kickback from the people. And so you got to make sure your team's on board with you to grow and you've got the right people to grow with. Um, I think that's one of the largest things. If you have the people and you can start replicating that, that's when a lot of magic can start to happen. But it all starts with the people. I truly, truly believe it. <laughs> To your point, if the team doesn't want to grow with you, then they're going to be your biggest challenge in original store. And so even if you're not ready to grow, I guess in your team meetings, be it weekly or monthly or however you hold them, 
Hey guys, I've always dreamt of having more than just one store, and I just want to share that with you. I've shared you why I got into business. I so appreciate you being here. But it may be time for us to think about that kind of growth. Now, I need you all with me on that, but I want you to start just rolling it around in your head that maybe someday we may have more stores. And of course, I need you 100% on the team in order to do that. Is that the kind of vision sharing that would need to happen way before you ever think of growing? I think that should be happening all the time. I mean, I think you should be, you know, sharing what the goals and aspirations are all the time. I mean, we just had an event last week and I mean, you can ask anybody from a general service tech to the top of the mountain what the goals of this company are for this year. And they can not only recite them, but they're going to know exactly our target dates and everything. We're very transparent about that because if we can't get them excited and, and bought into our growth, we're not going to keep growing. So I don't care if it's one store or a hundred stores. If you don't have that message unified throughout everyone and everybody's excited about that message, you're not going to do it. Are people reluctant to be transparent because they don't know that they can do it? I get up in front of my peoples and I say, listen, within three years, we're going to have two additional locations. Not only is it an immense amount of pressure on me who said it, but if I don't, does, does that hurt the attitude, the spirit of the company? I guess it depends on how you approach that. I don't think there's anything wrong with failing as long as you have good discussion about how we, how we didn't meet, meet the mark and what we can do differently. How can we learn from that? How can we readjust our goals? But if you set a goal and then you don't talk about it for two years and then be like, okay, we didn't meet it, we didn't do anything good there. Got it. So in every meeting, set the goals up and it's your job as the goal setter and or anyone in the company that decided to set goals to talk about them. And yeah, to your point, even if you don't reach your goal on the day that you claimed you would, everyone knows why stumble in the forest economy, you name it, pandemic, whatever the reasons would be, you know, the loss of some key people. We made an offer. It didn't happen, but at least we were moving forward. So we may not have physically met our goals, but we have been working hard at it. That's a great point. I love that. Yeah, I think keeping them part of the process the entire time, regardless, is that's how you keep them engaged in what you're trying to do. Excellent. So I'm going to take my second scenario. I own three stores and uh, I really feel like I'm on a roll. I got two opportunities that just came out in front of me. Just somebody say, well, you're a multi-shop owner now. Here, here's a couple. What do I got to have right at that moment with these two or three stores in order to really get bigger? That size, I mean, obviously it still comes down to your people. But I don't care if you have 100 stores, it comes down to your people, but that's a big part of it. Um, are they ready to take that challenge on? Do you have the people that can staff that store? Do you have the people that can manage that store? You're going to need some key players at that point. And you're going to, you know, you're going to need some, maybe a general manager or district manager, whatever you want. There's a multitude of things you can call them, but somebody that's going to be your right hand that's going to help you continue that mission. Obviously, you have to have your finances in order. You know, you can't be putting money in the, the wall or whatever you, wherever you hide it. You got to have a good relationship with your bank to be able to move on things because there's, you know, what I've found is there is competition on deals as well. So making sure that you're where you need to be and have your best foot forward with that relationship building. Systems and processes probably would be my next highest piece. Yeah. If you don't have the way we do it, every step of the way and everything, do not try to grow to that many stores. I just think uh, you're going to set yourself up for massive letdowns and a lot of problems if you don't have systems and processes. I hear that over and over and over again, Matt, that systems and processes, a lot of people that go from store one to store two that don't have that locked, 
find themselves in, in some pretty deep doo-doo. And you're right, store two, three, four, five without that systems and processes in hand, you're probably more crashing and burning than you know you are. You know, one to three stores as an owner, you can probably put the fires out. You can probably be present enough to keep everybody engaged. But after that, it, it becomes nearly impossible to be able to be that person, even if you have a right-hand person, even like, this is how we do everything. This is the expectations and communicating all those things. Like it makes it very, very difficult to operate a successful shop. Can you open the doors every day? Yeah. Is it going to be good? Probably not. Wow. Uh, so proud of your growth. I got a final question for you. Sure. I think I know the answer actually. Are you a rule maker or a rule breaker? Probably a breaker. <laughs> I don't like making the rules. I understand the why behind them, but I, I task people that are better than that at me. They know my vision. They know what I'm trying to do and why it's important. And they don't the ones that make it. Um, when it comes to rule breaking, I, uh, I don't know. There's certain areas that I just like to be myself and let my personality come out and it's okay. So here's the deal. All these questions that I've asked Matt, which he gave us incredible answers to. While you're driving in your car listening to this podcast, maybe rewind it and listen to it again and answer the questions that I asked Matt. And listen to where his answers are and help shape your business for the future. Now, let's talk about the future. You're going to become a coach, right? Yeah. So I've been a coach for the last uh, four four plus years uh, for a couple different companies and uh, decided this year was the year we're going to launch our own company. So beginning of January here, we launched uh, Hammer Consulting, which is a multifaceted coaching company. So we've got anything from business owner coaching to service advisor management coaching to technician coaching as well. So we're going to have a shop foreman group. We're going to have actual technician training as part of our uh, offering. Um, I'm lucky to have a top 10 recognized technician in the country. So and he was somebody that has been with us a very long time. He actually worked under me as a technician and uh, he has aspirations to really help this industry. And he's a, he's one of our training leads in our company. And uh, he has aspirations to take that to another level as his career blossoms and grows as well. I've really tried to build the team. Um, it's not just going to be me. It's going to be a team of people that can help in different aspects and, and facets of the Every business has different needs, and we want to make sure we can offer what they need at that time. I'm so happy for you, and congrats to this big announcement and moving into, if you will, a realm that uh, you know a lot about. Question about technician mentors, personal mentors. What do you think of an individual who's really good at their craft, but, you know, it's, it's like personal development. I'm, I'm a really good leader, but I really don't know if I'm really that good of a leader. Let me find someone to mentor, hold me accountable. Could that possibly be an important trend in our industry? I think it's got to be, especially with so many people coming into this industry that have limited or zero experience. They just like cars or they just want to be around it. I think that these people, especially like every technician apprentice that we have has a partner and they have that partner for the first 12 to 16 months they work for us. Doesn't mean that that partnership stops, but it just, we'd reduce the frequency of it after 12 to 16 months. So every technician or company has somebody assigned to them that they meet with every six weeks. However, when they're in their apprenticeship or, you know, early stages of their careers, they actually meet weekly. And they just talk about, okay, this is what we did last week. This is, you know, where you graded out on this. Is there any challenges you're having? And we really just kind of make sure that we keep the career path aligned so they're growing and they're seeing the value and what the work they're putting in. Your top guy really could become even more top 
because you see the potential in him to go outside of your shop, to go into the industry, to find a really top A tech that'll be willing to give maybe an hour a month just to talk to somebody, to build them, to, you know, phone a friend kind of thing and be willing to pay X amount of, for the touch. You can do that internally because you're a big enough shop. You have enough people. Is this an idea for a, a single shop? I think it could be, especially, you know, single shops kind of get limited on that touch. So if you can have somebody outside of your shop that you can, you know, connect with and build a relationship and that bounce things off of and help them grow, by all means, I think that's a great thing. I mean, that was kind of where the shop foreman premise kind of came from. The groups that were started is, you know, these guys don't have those resources. So being able to have those connections, but also have a coach that facilitates that is such a powerful thing. I have to tell you, as I've observed this industry for almost the last eight years as the premier podcaster, look what I started, by the way. It's amazing how the training and coaching and consulting has been so embraced and it has gone up on steroids that it's just not the owner anymore who is getting support. And rightfully so, when you look at the successful shops like you, never successful from day one, but always working toward that to the point where you've amassed, you know, uh, a great solid business that gets you to uh, look and realize that all of these different roles in the business and in the company have to have focus, mentoring, teaching, coaching. You can't slice yourself up enough. You can't slice a district manager up enough. And I do believe that, if you will, the outside influence that you authorize to come in and teach your people can only take your company to, to bigger and better places. 100% agree with that. 100%. Well, I had so much fun catching up with you, uh, Matt Lockowitzer, Matt's Automotive Service Center, uh, 10 locations, and maybe by tonight, 12. Who knows? Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but only you know, and congratulations on your enormous success. Thanks for being a friend of the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the Premier Automotive Aftermarket Podcast. Until next time... 